I mean, surely he's on top of it, I would hope. <laughs> I'm not said, with him right now. He's getting he, fit, so. And he says that you're the one that's always running late, you know? That, he, that's such you can swear on this podcast it's okay me and me and john Pranich <laughs> have the explicit rating you know <laughs> that's funny no because um my parents not my parents well my my parents will listen but then my soccer players parents like i'll post it on facebook okay and i'll get text messages the next day and they're like oh my gosh i just listened to your podcast and i was like oh <laughs> whoops i'm glad i hopefully i didn't say anything bad i know i know it uh Mr. Tristan, are you there, sir? I'm here. Oh, my God. Technology. We have everybody. I'm here. I'm here. Awesome. Hi, Tristan. Hey there, Coach Cat. <laughs> Why do I envision that uh, when you're walking around the house that you refer to each other as coach? Sometimes. Because it kind of does happen. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's Sometimes. True. It's true. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, well uh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Tristan, it's your house sounds like my house. <laughs> there you go. This is the On the Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. In episode eight of On the Touchline, I talked to a true soccer power couple, Kat Nichols and Tristan Tillett. I feel like I've known Kat and Tristan for a long time, but in reality, it actually hasn't been that long. It's funny, though, how whenever you have common experiences as coaches and as parents, that seems to be the connective tissue that brings people together. Part of why I wanted to talk to Kat and Tristan together was because of those common experiences. We all seem to share a belief that players should be playing more pickup games and with friends in a non-structured environment when they're away from training versus everything being structured along the way. We also talk about something that is really near and dear to all of our hearts in terms of exclusive versus inclusive soccer culture. Both Kat and Tristan share their experience of what that is like, not only as a coach, but as the parent of three youth soccer players. Before I get to my conversation with Kat and Tristan, a friendly reminder that this is a listener-supported podcast, and you can support this show in a number of ways. You can support the show financially by going to anchor.fm slash on the touchline and making a small monthly contribution. Or you can help support this podcast by sharing it out on social media with friends and use the hashtag on the touchline. I will certainly try and do my best to connect with you uh, if you're able to share the show. And it means the world when you do that. Uh, I sincerely mean that when I say that. We are available on nine different podcasting platforms from Spotify to Google Podcast as well as Apple. And if you use Apple Podcast, please be sure to leave a five-star rating as well as a review. And my thanks to the coaches and some of the former guests that have left reviews uh, of this show and continuing to push us up the uh, podcast rankings on Apple. So thank you for that. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kat Nichols and Tristan Tillett. Well, uh, my sincere thanks to both of you for taking the time to, uh, to jump on the On the Touchline podcast. And uh, for folks who don't know uh, about your backgrounds, uh, this would be a, a great opportunity to introduce yourself uh, to the audience. So uh, a little bit about who you are and how you've gotten to where you are in your soccer coaching journey. Are we Coach Kat? Ladies first? Yeah, ladies first. We're down oh, south. Yeah, such, such gentlemen. Okay, well, I'm Coach Cat. Um, I coach in Birmingham, Alabama for Vestavia Hills Soccer Club. I'm currently the girls assistant director, and I'm also the girls college liaison as well as the head coach of three teams. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. But how I got there 
Um, I grew up playing soccer in Texas. I played since I was four, kind of followed in my big sister's footsteps. Um, she was always in the goal, and I was always that little annoying sister behind her shagging balls, trying to talk to her while she's playing goalkeeper. And that kind of ignited my love for it. Um, I wasn't quite as daring as she was by being in the goal, so I played right in front of where the goalkeeper plays, and I was a center back. Um, sometimes the target forward, if they needed somebody that was mean and had size, um, that's when I got called up up top. But mostly played center back, grew up playing, played ODP, played high school, and then went on to play college at Samford University over here in Birmingham, Alabama, um, under the guidance of Todd Yelton and Brian Copham and Jay Yelton. And figured I didn't know what else I wanted to do with my life, but I wasn't ready to hang my cleats up quite yet. And that's how I fell into soccer. I started with like a little rec team and just kind of moved my way up. Um, I haven't gotten quite where I want to be yet, but I'm on the path that will get me there. So hopefully with all the help from the staff that I currently work for, and the things I'm doing on my own to kind of network and meet new people, I'll keep myself moving in the right direction. So that's kind of a little Cliff Notes version of how I got to where I am now. All righty, I'll jump in. Uh, Tristan Tillett, also in Birmingham, Alabama, oddly enough. Um, my, my route to soccer was a little bit more kind of roundabout and circuitous than Coach Cat, where... Um, I've never actually played um, any type of like organized game. My claim to fame is I've literally never had a shin guard on my body. I'll play pickup and jump in and that kind of stuff. I kind of found the sport uh, via my kids' involvement. And um, one of the local uh, directors at the time, Jay Howell, who's now um, executive director, uh, director with Richmond Strikers, he kind of sparked my interest where I had a strength and conditioning background came from a coaching background. Uh, dad was a high school college basketball coach before I was born. So um, always knew that I wanted to coach. Um, just kind of found, found the niche in terms of strength conditioning, sports performance, and then uh, went the youth soccer route uh, through there, where served as um, soccer performance director for a couple of local clubs. Um, now I'm a soccer performance specialist with um, another local club and also program director with um our local business here birmingham futsal where uh, we're in it's it's the winter here obviously so we're in the middle of our winter season have over 300 kids uh playing the game of futsal where to me coming from a basketball background and having a passion uh for the game of soccer and just learning about that and seeing you know the opportunities that are there for young uh, young players uh futsal is a pretty good hybrid and kind of a mixture of both of them um so that's what I do on a daily basis is speed, agility, and futsal right now. Fantastic. Uh, I, I will save the uh, part of how y'all manage uh, your relationship uh, for later in the conversation. But um, what about inspiring young people and working with young people? Um, where did you find that love? Uh, was it something that through your own experience, uh, whether it be through soccer or another sport, uh, or is that sort of, you know, part of your personality that you like to help people? Um, I'm, I'm curious uh, for both of you. Um, yeah, so for me, it was a kind of my personality. Like, I love helping people. Um, I'm a big people person. I love to be around people. I love to talk to them, hear their story. Um, but at the same time, like, I learned so much um, through the coaches that had impacted my life um, coming up through the the ranks as a club player and then into college um and I know if Todd listens to this he's going to tell me that I give him too much credit but between him and Brian Copham and Jay like just being able to sit on the bench and listen to them and like know how much of an impact that those guys had in my life and how much they really changed who I was as a person and who I wanted to be that if a coach can have that much impact on me and I knew I loved the game and I wanted to give back to the game because the game gave me so much. What kind of an impact could I have on especially young females and can be a role model, um, especially in today's age? Like, how can I give back to the sport that I love so much, but also how can I impact and be a role model and try to set good examples for 
even players, not even players, but like their siblings, like if they see how I'm interacting with their and how how all that works. So it's kind of a give back, but also at the same time, like I want to inspire others the way that my coaches that I had inspired me and drove me and made me want to be not just a better soccer player, but a better person all around. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Tristan for you. Yep. Um, mine was pretty similar. And again, just growing up in a household where like sports was always on TV, you know, whether it be uh, obviously the big three back then, I'm a, I'm an eighties baby. So it was a baseball, basketball, football household. You know, we didn't really have a whole lot of soccer on TV, uh, back in the early to mid eighties, be quiet, coach cat. Um, (laughs) where, um, we were just always around it and just seeing firsthand, um, like what my father in particular was able to do for uh, the young man. I grew up in inner city, New Orleans. He coached at a Catholic school. Um, so had a lot of kids, you know, from underprivileged backgrounds where literally like if they had practice before school on a Thursday morning at 6 a.m., you know, I would be shacked up in a room with, you know, four high school players of his that um, couldn't get a ride to school that early and, and, and may or may not have lived in, in the best areas where rather than going early morning to go pick them up, it was just a safer, safer journey to have them over. They would have a family dinner. We do homework. Um, and then we go to practice the next day. So just seeing what, what he was able to do and what sports was able to do and afford opportunities and now trying to do that um, on a daily basis. And honestly, that's kind of why I gravitated towards soccer. Um, I'm sure we'll touch on some of this, but just the culture that, that exists in that sport throughout our country um, and, you know, especially on the men's side, the perils of not making the World Cup is kind of laughable where um, we have so many resources, so much opportunity, you know, so much uh, goes goes forward in terms of, you know, coaching, education and development and licensing and these programs and academies and development academy and blah, blah, blah. And just can we get kids playing a game like literally that's what it should be about. Find an opportunity to put kids in a position where they can have fun and experiment and try new things. Um, and express themselves, you know, both in a, in a sense of sport um, and beyond. And that's what I try to do on a daily basis. So I, I typically save this question for the end of a conversation uh, with a, a guest or guests, but um, Tristan, you, you kind of uh, alluded to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, so what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong uh, in our country when it comes to developing soccer players, whether it be, you know, to go from a youth player to a college player, to go maybe from a college player to a professional player, to go from youth, you know, straight to pro uh, in some cases. Uh, What are we doing well and and what can we improve on? Um, I would say it's a, you know, apples and oranges type situation where here in Birmingham, um, I've had the privilege to work with uh, a handful of, you know, both, both male and female youth players, you know, when they were probably 11, 12, 13, 14, Um, And they've gone on to either play MLS. Some have actually gone overseas. Some are, you know, made appearances with uh, age respective national teams on the on the boys and men's side and full national team appearances on the women's side. Um, So my thing is, like, if one player can make it out of Birmingham, then why can't 100? Why, you know, or 1000 or whatever. It's just a matter of I think, you know, again, we get a lot of uh, very, very fixated in terms of the the structure and the organization, you know, from a top down side um, on the soccer realm, it's very, very organized. Again, me coming from a basketball background and, and, and being around um, actually spent six years as a college coach, you know, dabbled in high school coaching and middle school coaching, um, trying to explain the, the licensing structure and, and rigidity almost to a, a basketball coach that exists in soccer. Like they can't comprehend that. Like there is no licensing in really any other sport other than soccer. Um, so I think in terms of the education and, and that side of it, it's great where there's a, you know, check this box, that box, that box. But again, if we're not able to just impact kids and get them playing the game um, from the ages of, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, then I think we're missing the boat, honestly. Kat, for, uh, for you, uh, what would you say we're doing well or what, uh, what can we improve on? Uh, yeah. Uh, so many thoughts coming to my head, but like one is like just getting kids to play their game, play the game and watch the game. Um, Cause I kind of find it just, maybe it's on the girl side. Cause that's what I work directly with is that the girls start to fizzle out like at a certain age. Like there's 
a significant kind of drop off in girls that play soccer or girls that want to go on and play college soccer because they want the quote unquote college experience and they want to do this. But like be educating those players on like you can still have all of those things and just getting them playing and watching the game and more and less of a structured environment. Like there's not a lot of pickup. Like I love going to the fields and like seeing my girls like out there, like they don't just, they won't play world cup because they know like I hate that game with every ounce of my being, <laughs> um, but still like get out and they'll play one V one or they'll do like little rondos by themselves and like they're being creative or they'll make up stuff to do and like giving players that freedom before practice to kind of do things and have a little bit more fun with it and not be so structured. And this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. Cause you got to get to this point because their lives are already so structured anyways. I mean, there's, it's kind of a delicate balance because as coaches, we do have certain things we're trying to achieve and trying to teach them, but finding that delicate balance. And then I just don't know that the game is seen like, especially on the female side. Like I know we have the women's national team games, but like, watching the college stuff like you had to watch it from your iphone or from your little computer and it's not on like a tv where kids don't have maybe they have access to it but maybe they don't and like they don't get to see the players that played in the club two years ago on the big screen and be like hey that girl was where you are now look at what she's able to do and just being able to put it all together instead of it being kind of a dream, like, oh, well, maybe college, but I don't know if I'm good enough. Like, if you work for it, these kids did it, you see it, you, it can be achieved. Yeah. Well, I, I so I, it, at the risk of this getting, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want listeners to interpret this as sort of political uh, from, from my perspective. But, um, you know, I guess I would use the word equality. Uh, and I say that because, you know, as the, the dad of two little girls, uh, I would want them to have the same opportunities that my son has, right? And the fact that um, there are numerous professional leagues on TV, yet, uh, you know, it can be incredibly difficult to find a women's game on TV or uh, to uh, watch a, you know, a, a local uh, women's soccer team at a university or whatever, uh, the, you know, the, the College Cup, um, whatever it might be. Yeah, so something's not right with that picture, right? Right. And, um, yep. you know, yeah, yeah. to a certain extent, I mean, it's okay to have idols that, uh, you know, if there's a, a male player that if, you know, if my daughters tell me one day that they like Messi or Ronaldo or Neymar or Mbappe or whoever, that's fine. But, um, you know, I also believe, too, to a certain extent that uh, you probably try to emulate the people that are most like you, right? Right. And that... Um, if there aren't strong female leads, you know, besides the national team players, uh, then I don't know if we're necessarily moving the conversation forward, uh, you know, uh, on, on the women's side. So right. I find that I find that interesting. Um, yeah, yep. I mean, and I kind of have proof to the pudding. Like I had my U15s. We went up to Castle up in Raleigh and we had some of them were able to actually get tickets and go to the game where some of them, I was like, hey, if you can't go, you need to watch it. Here's how you stream it. Here's how you do it. We're going to talk about it tomorrow morning. And every single player sat down and watched the game. And, like, them being able to be like, oh, did you see they did this? Did you see this? Like, this is what their center back did. This is what their outside back did. This is what this did. And then, like, they can, they're starting to see the game. And then, like, the very next game, after watching – the, that high level of soccer like they were unbelievable I was like if this is all it took we're watching soccer before every game so just those little like moments of like that can make such a huge impact by just getting players in front of the game just to see it even if it's just a 90 minute game or even if it's one half but being able to see that kids like them can do things like that mm -hmm. well and I'll I think, jump in uh, here real quick if you don't mind Jason no go right ahead um where the cat and I actually talked about this uh, this morning um, where we have a USL team that's starting up in Birmingham, the Legion um, in the spring and just talking about kind of like, well, what is that going to do? Like, what does that mean? What's the opportunity? Um, and that's, that's the, on the boys side of it where kids here have left. Like we have a group of from the 99 age group to probably the O2 age group. There are 
at least eight to 10 kids that have left for, you know, larger MLS DAs that have gone on to sign full roster MLS contracts, one at Bayern Munich, which I know you're excited about for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, For sure. Those kind of things (laughs) where like, if those players would have stayed here, like what would that have meant to the culture? What would that have done? But the other side of that coin is like, is there really anything here for a player like that? You know, and iron's going to sharpen iron. So if you're the, if you're the sharpest sword, how are you going to get sharpened? You know, eventually that, that blade's going to become dull because you can't, you should bring your best effort every day, obviously as a coach and a player. But again, we're dealing with 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kids where there needs to be something in it for them at the end of the rainbow. Um, And on the women's side, um, having, you know, three kids, two boys and a girl, we probably watch in terms of college soccer, 99.9% female versus male. Honestly, uh, Kat and I are kind of soccer snobs where we feel like there's a, you know, certain quote, right. And, and maybe not right way to play the game where we kind of want our, our three watching and learning, you know, specific, whether it be positional play or whether it be, you know, a Barcelona style or a Man City style or possession based, you know, so those are all the things that, you know, that with the resources that she and I have, we're able to afford. But again, like how many soccer moms and dads are actually able to have the background, somewhat of an education from a sport, you know, coaching side to know what do they want their sons and daughters exposed to, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would agree. Uh, I, I find watching the, uh, the women's college game uh, tremendously entertaining. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, I've, I find like I find myself watching virtually any game that's on. So male, female, uh, really doesn't matter. I, I find myself uh, sort of entranced in it. So, uh, yeah, definitely good stuff there. Um, so Tristan, you had mentioned something earlier that, uh, so I, I've had this conversation with my, uh, my older brother who, uh, coaches competitive, uh, youth baseball and has coached at high school baseball and, uh, played a little, a little bit collegiately, um, and was probably a better athlete than I ever was. But, uh, so anyway, um, we talk about licensing and uh, he looked at me as sort of, you know, sometimes when your dog gives you that sort of sideways look, <laughs> of like, you know, do what? Uh, when I was telling him that I was going to do some uh, some soccer licensing uh, this past summer and how that is, you know, I guess I would call it a uniquely soccer thing um, and why it's so important and, you know, earning your badges and, and things of that nature and uh, tell me about that experience for both of you, what that has been like. Uh, and I'll share a little bit of, about my experience um, because it, I, I think there are some things we're doing well uh, in terms of the licensing part, but there's also, I think, some gaps there. And uh, I'm curious what that experience has been like for both of you. Ladies first, Coach um, Scott. Well, thanks, Tress. Well, for me, so I have my favorite coach coaching course I've taken has been my youth national um but just trying to go up like the USSF route has been for me extremely difficult just because I can't get in like I've applied for my B a couple of times and I can't get in for and they list reasons like whether that's a blanket email or like legit reasons it's just kind of disheartening when you apply you apply and they're like, oh, well, you don't, like, one of the reasons was I don't show enough, um, I forgot the exact word, but basically I'm not pursuing continuing education enough, but at a certain point, I can't pursue continuing education if you won't let me into your courses, so it's kind of like a rock and a hard place, because I don't, like, pass or fail, like, I mean, granted, if I pay for a B license, like, it would really suck to fail that, but... I want the opportunity. Like, I want to go. I want to learn. I want to dive into as much information as I can and really challenge myself because I won't get better if I'm not getting pushed and I'm not getting challenged by people that are better coaches than I am and know more about the game than I know. Um, so I'm kind of looking to go up um, the United Soccer Coaches route now, start working, knocking some of those out. I have a few of them. But I'm going to try to start working them out. It's just so hard being a club coach. And when you coach three teams to be like, oh, hey, I got to take the next nine days off, guys. Sorry, you're going to have another coach coach you. Like, it's kind of a rock and a hard place. Like, is that fair to your own team who you're trying to train? But at the same time, for your own professional development, you want to take those moments. So it's 
kind of a delicate balance that I haven't really found out how to work yet. So I kind of put myself in the backseat and put my teams ahead of what I want to do because they come first and their, their development comes before my development is kind of what I feel like I'm doing, which I'm okay with, but at, at some point I've got to continue to develop myself as a coach as well. It's just kind of hard. Tristan. Yeah. Um, so a couple of different thoughts just kind of running through my mind, just as it pertains to, you know, the, the, the soccer coaching education route versus, you know, other sports. Um, the barrier for entry of other sports is, is a lot lower to the point of like we talked about, like it almost doesn't exist. Like I know USA basketball is just now starting um, some type of, you know, online modules, things like that, where like to be certified through USA basketball, gold, silver, I qualifies you to as you're a coach there you can attend basically like certain like aau events showcase events and things like that um where that's just now recently um crossing over i believe football's kind of doing the same and maybe baseball's doing the same um but even then you know it's not the the graduating tiers of you know your grassroots to your d to your c to your b to your a to your uefa ba etc with all of the you know, man or woman hours um, and, and time spent, you know, on the field, designing sessions, uh, sharpening your saw, so to speak. But it's reminiscent of, again, like the the exclusivity of the youth soccer culture here in the U.S., where everywhere else it's very inclusive. It's, quote, the world's game where all you need is a group of kids and a ball, um, you know, here to kind of go full circle like that doesn't exist. You know, we have to find a club with a field with a this in an organized, you know, setting. So to me, it just seems like a lot of people like I know I'm going to be passionate about, you know, Kat and kind of her journey um, firsthand uh, where she's been excluded because of, you know, certain things. I've got other friends in the profession that have, have applied, you know, and, and they haven't been accepted or admitted into certain courses, whereas other people who may not be, quote, you know, as qualified um, or definitely as passionate as them maybe got in because of the politics of who they knew or, you know, which club or, or organization or school they were a member of and those kind of things. So it just seems like it's, it's confusing and frustrating, you know, as a soccer parent firsthand and a, and a coach and someone again, who's, who's passionate about just letting kids play the game, letting coaches, if you want to learn, why would you be told, no, you can't learn on this day? Like that, to me, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I completely agree. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, working towards my D license and uh, I, I find it incredibly interesting with this new sort of approach to U.S. soccer that in essence, I mean, they're not really teaching people soccer. They're teaching how, uh, coaches how to teach soccer and uh, I enjoyed, you know, for the most part, the uh, the course that I went to uh, over the summer, but there wasn't really anything specific in terms of a style of play or, you know, how do you form sort of your soccer philosophy or, you know, what's your identity or methodology going to look like or anything like that. And it was more about, um, you know, here's really how you teach people. Here's, here's how you lead with, uh, you know, guided discovery and open-ended questions and things of that nature. Well, that's all well and fine, right? But I don't know if that's the reason why I was there. And I don't know if that's <laughs> the reason why, you know, other coaches were there. And, um, you know, and Tristan is, a, a, a you know, an additional follow-up that, uh, yeah, the exclusivity part is absolutely fascinating to me because literally all you need is a surface and a ball to play this damn game, right? I mean, For it's, sure. it's, it's unbelievable. And I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but uh, – you know, asking to get, you know, to leave a field because we're the only ones there and we're playing soccer, but we didn't reserve the space. Like to me, that is insane. And uh, (laughs) I mean, it's like, what are we doing? You know, I feel like uh, Taylor Bowman here, like, what are we doing? Uh, And especially at the, um, you know, the, the pickup level, right. Where, you know, uh, Tristan, similar to you. I mean, I played a whole lot of basketball growing up as a kid, played a whole lot of baseball, football, whatever. And I could walk on to the Little League baseball field at any time of the day, and my friends and I are playing home run derby. Or I could go to the local basketball court, and there was probably always a game of some sort, right? Uh, you know, and winter stays on, jump in, go ahead and play. 
And uh, I, I wish we had that in terms of soccer culture. And, you know, I, it, it takes it takes all of us. Uh, you know, what I'm trying to do here in the Pittsburgh area, what you guys are doing in your area um, and every other part of the country to just keep beating that drum, I think, in order to sort of, you know, facilitate the change we want to see. So, um, any, anyway, that was my, my soapbox. <laughs> so, <laughs> Love it. A little passionate That's a conversation. about that topic. That's a conversation that I had. We had our first, um, so, so our futsal um, group here, we have three academy teams where basically it's kids that kind of want a little bit more than just maybe one day of training a week. They wanted something a little bit more competitive. So we had our first, quote, parent meeting in the history of my, you know, illustrious uh, slash very, very brief career as a coach. And it was, you know, hey, like, we're not club soccer. We're not a, you know, soccer club where we're going to line you up and we're going to go to these tournaments and travel like – I put my hand in my ear and said, listen, you can hear your kids in the gym right now. They're playing, they're laughing, they're having a good time. Like if, if they can come here, granted there's a, a slight cost associated with that because we have to rent the space, but it's, it's very, very, very affordable for everyone. We've had a couple of the kids that we've scholarshiped in, you know, that, uh, that weren't able to afford to, to try to allow these kids to play um, and give them a place where I told mom and dad, like my goal for them is this to be their safe place. Again, Growing up in the 80s, we'd go outside and play, and we were lucky to get, come inside before it was dark. You know, Now that doesn't exist. So yeah. the more people I think that can kind of have that perspective, um, not that we're doing everything right, but again, just getting kids to play um, and learn the game and learn the, the, the outside of the lines, the social skills, the self-awareness of, hey, I'm really, really good at this, but maybe not so good at that. So how can I either round out that aspect of my game or personality or surround myself with other people on a team. Um, the sooner we can get kids doing that, I think the better. So I, I love the, the pro futsal uh, approach and sort of uh, idea. Uh, I, I am very pro futsal. Uh, my son is currently playing uh, over our winter season and uh, coaching him or whatever. And um, tell me, I guess for both of you, I guess, why should a young player play futsal? Sorry, I just threw a knife across the kitchen. My bad. Um, wow. So for me, <laughs> I, you're I, that I, passionate I, about it. Interesting. Man. I'm that passionate about you <laughs> play futsal. Um, yep. Yes. Radio gold right here. Podcast gold. So, you know, I I'm not editing know, this part out, by the way. <laughs> it's, totally, it's totally fine. I mean, I why would you? I am. <laughs> uh, so, anyways. I'm, I'm good. We're good. All right. Back to it. Futsal. It's good for kids. So I didn't really know much about it. Um, the rules are different. The way you play is different. Um, so when Tristan started all this, I was like, well, I mean, that's cool. Like, at least kids are playing. But then I went and saw it. And I was watching, like, his high school age kids play. And it's so incredibly fast. And your thought process has to be fast. And you have to be able to play fast and make good decisions and you have to be able to be somewhat skillful with your feet so it puts just that added challenge on kids to think fast play fast where on a bigger field you may have a little bit of time and your mistakes won't get as exposed because you have time to make it up where on a football court your mistakes are blaring because it's so fast that one false move the ball is going probably in the back of your net if you're not careful so just the speed of the game and having kids like play at that pace and play with those foot skills and having to make those faster decisions. Like I've been telling parents, like I can't wait to see how it resonates for those players when they go back to their teams this spring and how different they are compared to kids that aren't necessarily doing anything over the winter break. Like how much more prepared are they? How much quicker are they going to play? Is the game on the on the grass surface going to seem way too slow for them now because they've been playing at this level. And it's not like it's outstanding next level soccer, but the, the pace of the game is just so fast. And I think it just benefits any kid that can actually play it, playing with the heavier ball, learning that it's okay to use the bottom of your foot. And every now and then it's okay to toe poke the ball, even though we've been teaching them since they were four, not to toe the ball. Like, in this setting, it's okay, and here's why. And I think it's a great resource for kids to be able to challenge themselves to play a little bit faster and think a little bit faster. 
I feel like you were at uh, one of our recent training sessions, Kat, because uh, we <laughs> we t- we talked about the toe poke uh, and explained sort of why, you know, very appropriate uh, uh, in futsal. So, so Tristan, for you, uh, um, from the you know kind of the X's and O's and just the the ball side of it, like technically, tactically, uh, the awareness that players have to have, especially as Kat mentioned, like those older age groups. Um, almost equipped to like playing up, you know, where a lot of moms and dads want their kids to play up because they have to be a little sharper, uh, you know, a, a, a bad first touch, a lack of awareness, quotes, uh, quote, gets punished, those kind of things. Um, that's definitely, you know, applicable um, at all levels. Uh, she mentioned our oldest team. Uh, it was to the point of like at the end of that first game, like it was a high, high level game back and forth, back and forth. Like I literally had to walk outside and like, uh, like breathe. Because it was like that intense, not from like a chippiness, dirtiness type thing. You know, there was a little bit of that, obviously, with high school age males, uh, but just the the intensity of it and just the constant, you know, mental engagement uh, and awareness that the players had to have. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you know, kind of the softer skills of coaching and just uh, learning like the resiliency that that teaches kids where you had a bad first touch. If you dwell on that, guess what? It's going to happen again, three and a half seconds later and again and again and again versus like move on to the next play, the next ball. How can you make up for it? You know, make up for the mistake, blah, blah, blah. All of the things that coaches may try to reinforce in the outdoor game in a bigger space, but how frequently are the players actually being confronted with those situations and lessons versus the tighter um, futsal space in a game. And even in our training sessions where it's a ton of, 1v1 so it's you against him her her against her her against him him against her you know figuring out again like how can I make the best of this situation and try to solve the problem as skillfully and as creatively as I can yeah yeah I, I absolutely love that and I uh you know it's so funny um yes the players that I coach uh you know U10 boys they're developing their foot skills their abilities things of that nature but Really, I, I think the biggest thing I've seen them improve on is their mental sharpness uh, in terms of decision making, where to go with the ball. This, uh, you know, I don't have five seconds to, to decide what I'm going to do with it. I got to make that decision yesterday. And, uh, you know, we, we tell the boys all the time there, there's no plays off uh, in futsal. I mean, it's constant and it's uh, how do you. Uh, you know, reset. How do you uh, restart a play? Um, can you do it fast? Uh, that sort of thing. So uh, I love that about that. And I love both of your answers. So um, the, the how I would like to end this conversation is sort of a, a two-part question. Uh, I, I think the three of us would probably agree that soccer or football has to start at home, right? Uh, Tom, Tom Bates talked about this, uh, or Tom Byer talks about this uh, all the time uh, in terms of sort of his philosophy or whatever. Uh, so what is that like for you, uh, having a household where soccer culture is really, really important? And then two, what would you like to see for your kids, um, in terms of, you know, their soccer progression, their development, uh, as they continue to get older and, and, you know, progress through the game? You're up, Tris. I'm up first on this one. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love all of um, Tom Byers, you know, uh, points his philosophy, um, and and love probably isn't even a strong enough word. Like I Twitter stalk him on a, on an hourly basis almost, um, try, <laughs> trying to get him when he comes to the states to kind of swing down this way. So if we're able to kind of get this before him, that would be lovely. Anywhere in the south would be great. Um, Tom, but, if you're listening, this correct. is a, a... <laughs> I firmly believe in that. Again, I grew up, you know. In, in a sporting household, in a, you know, basketball, football, baseball, and then chose, you know, uh, basketball as kind of my vehicle. And the last thing um, that I look like, for those who have seen me, is a anything beyond a high school basketball player. I'm not very tall. I'm not very big. I'm not very strong. I'm not very athletic. But it's like if, if a kid puts their mind to something, like no one has the right to tell him or her they can't do anything. So – You know, that's a two kind of two-folded equation where how passionate, you know, is the son or daughter um, out of our three kids. uh, I would say on a scale of one to ten, we probably have one that's an 11 uh, consistently. (laughs) We probably have one that's a, you know, probably an eight-ish consistently. And then we have maybe one that's a 
10 on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and a two on Tuesday, Thursday, and kind of in and out. But again, that's just every kid is different, you know? So it's allowing your son or daughter, you know, the young people that you're coaching to kind of find their own way. How can we keep them involved? How can we keep them engaged? But the sooner we give them the ability to solve problems, the quicker a kid can learn two plus two is four and not sometimes think that it might actually be five. I guarantee that that kid's going to be better in math. They just are, you know, and, and, and sport and life culture is very much the same way. Um, where, as you know, I'm, I'm a big, and Kat's going to cackle at this, a big Gary V supporter uh, as well. So again, like the, the self-awareness side of just understanding um, like who you are and what you want to do and what you want to be in life. Um, if that can get supported at home um, or by, you know, a close support group of coaches, you know, mentors, et cetera, uh, the better. I think as a, as a nation here, um, again, I was raised by a coach and, and educators. Both of my parents um, were, were high school and beyond high school teachers. Um, so came from a family of educators as well. Not saying that education isn't important, but it's a matter of like, what does your kid need to keep them engaged and what's going to allow them to kind of find their own way where it might be going to college and, you know, studying chemistry. It might be a college athlete. It might be they want to go play pro. And if they're told, oh, well, that's that's unrealistic, then they're probably going to listen to you as mom and dad and probably put that dream on hold and probably say, Oh, they're right. You know, I, I can't do that. I'm not good enough or start, start rationalizing um, and, and kind of dwelling on those insecurities instead of, you know, finding a way to, to conquer that, so to speak. So that's my take on all of the, it starts at home and kind of what I would like um, for our three kids uh, personally, and honestly, everyone's kids. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I, uh, and I, I am a hundred percent pro Gary V by the way. So <laughs> yes, uh, he, he is uh, what Tom Byer is to you. Uh, Gary V is to me, Tristan. So. Oh, don't be fooled. He does the same thing with Gary V too. I'll watch it every day. <laughs> every day. It's okay. I, he's the daily dose of, uh, in, in my face that I need. So, uh, yep. yeah, I, I am so in his corner and, uh, you know, I, it, it, I, I mean, just to rant about him for a sec that, um, I mean, part of sort of this, I feel like transformation I've gone through in my life is getting to a place where, you know, really owning my path and not sitting on the sidelines and wishing it and going, Oh God, everybody else is doing it. Well, why the hell can't I, you know? And, it's uh, I was telling um, a few people this earlier that, you know, it, it's scary as hell to do this podcast. It's scary as hell to put yourself out there. But there's something I've gotten to myself, you know, gotten to a place mentally where I'm like, you know what, this is something I really, really want to do. And I feel like this is my way of sort of paying it forward in the soccer community. Um, I'm really content with my coaching experiences. And I don't know if I'm going to go any higher than the club level. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Uh, but this is another way for me to connect with people and sort of pay it forward that way. And, you know, Gary, Gary V and other podcasts that, uh, you know, I'm sure all of us listen to, I mean, that's part of what, exp- uh, you know, uh, encouraged me to, to want to do this. So anyway, uh, Kat, on to you. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just the soccer starts at home. Like I get, like I totally buy in and get and support, like get them a ball at their feet. But like, if a kid loves to do something, how are we going to tell them not to do it? Like, if a kid loves to read, you're not going to tell them you read too much, you don't get to read anymore. Like, if a kid loves to play soccer and that's all they want to do, then, like, we've got to fester that. Like, my like it's one thing my parents did big for me. Like, I loved playing sports, and so we played sports. And I had an understanding that if I was going to be an athlete, like, I had to keep my grades up because that was part of the deal, but they never stopped me from going outside and kicking a ball up against a wall. Like I had to move a couple times different parts of the house because I broke a couple windows trying to one touch volley a ball, which I wasn't good at. And I shattered a couple bathroom windows, but they never once stopped me from doing that. And I feel like there's, there's far too many people. Maybe it's just, the ones I know that are like, oh, well, you already practice soccer three times a week. That's enough. You don't need to do that anymore. And, like, I just want to, like, light that fire, especially for our three. Like, 
as Tristan said, we had one that's an 11 and she's kind of a spinning image of me. And like outside of the fact she loves to read, like we're <laughs> pretty much identical. And I want her with the ball at her feet. Like I'm fine if you dribble around the house. Like I did it when I was a kid. So like we just foster in that environment, like that they feel safe and comfortable where if they don't love it, like our one of them is those, like Tristan said, those days he's a 10 and the other days he's a two, like the, the days he's a two, it's super frustrating because you see how much potential he has, but that's just who he is. And we have to cater to that. So it's a delicate balance of like, how do we push and keep him in the game, but also let him be his own person at the same time. But we have, like, if your kid wants to play soccer, like, don't stop them just because they train three nights a week. Like, 30 minutes isn't going to hurt. Like, you let them play Fortnite or whatever for 30 extra minutes. What is touching a ball for 30 extra minutes a day? Is that really harming them at all? Which it's not. So let them them do it. That's like, just let them play. Like, if they want to play, let them play. So that's my two cents. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, awesome. And, uh, you know, my mom always said growing up that uh, the parenting's not for sissies. And uh, <laughs> it, it's funny, the, the you know, uh, as I turn 38 next year, uh, it, it, I, man, she couldn't have been more right. And, uh, you know, the roundabout ways that my brothers and I gave her growing up. I mean, God. Uh, yeah. So we joke about that now. But uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. It's sort of those peaks and valleys. And uh you know, it, it makes me laugh that our, our two-year-old daughter, you know, in my mind, I have her, you know, playing soccer and forever, uh, for a lifetime. But, you know, there's days where we're in the backyard and she wants to do it. And there's days where she doesn't. And uh, that's okay. And I'm like, you know what? Like, you have to find your own path. And even for my son, who's eight, that, you know, figuring out his way, I mean, it's been this sort of, like, gradual climb up the mountain. But I feel like he's really you know, starting to get to that, you know, nine, 10 level on a consistent basis where now he's the one initiating it with me. And he's saying, Hey dad, let's go in the garage and just kick the ball around a little bit. Or, you know, it's a nice night. Let's go outside or, or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, continuing to be patient, but also creating that environment where they know, you know, they can, you know, I mean, nothing bad has really ever happened by playing more soccer. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Well, um, I was going to say, uh, you know, I, the, the question I typically ask everybody, I, I think we've covered already, but um, yeah. And any final thoughts you would uh, like to share with the listeners? Um, no, just enjoy the game. Like do play soccer because you love playing soccer, not because you're forced or you have to like coach soccer because you love soccer, not because you have to coach it. Like, love the game and pursue the game because you love it. Um, and I would just echo, you know, much of kind of what, what, what you were touching on, Jason, uh, with, you know, you, your own kids and kind of the way that you were raised. And then also what Kat said there, um, let's do our best as, you know, coaches, coaching professionals, uh, educators, leaders, et cetera, to, to, to support uh, the youngsters that we're in front of, you know, because we never know the things that they're dealing with in their own experiences, home life, et cetera, where again, when they come to see us, if we can make that, you know, the best 60, 90, 120, however many minutes they get a day in a week, um, that should be kind of our ultimate goal and, and teach them that anything is possible. Awesome. Uh, guys, thank you. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and, uh, Man, I wish we all lived closer. <laughs> right. For sure. Man, it's, uh, yeah, I, I need to get down to your neck of the woods or if you guys are ever up this way. Uh, I, I feel like we're all, uh, you know, uh, yeah, separated at birth or something because, uh, man, <laughs> there's, there's like some, I, I don't know. And it's, uh, I mean, there's so many of us that are out there that are, you know, so passionate about this sport and helping young people. And I just love what you guys are doing. Um, so if, uh, if folks want to connect with you guys, what is the easiest way for, uh, for them to do that? Well, I'm on Twitter. It's Coach Cat, and it's Cat with a K. So Coach, then K-A-T-1-8 is my Twitter. It's my Instagram. It's my email. Just add it at iCloud behind it because I'm Coach Cat 1-8. So you can hit me up any of those ways. 
I love talking shop. I know Tristan does too. So any chance we get to talk to people about soccer, about life, I love it. So I'm here. Just let me know. Yep, and I'm a T Tillette, so T and then Tillette, T-I-L-L-E-T-T-E um, on Twitter and Instagram. And then uh, our business, it's going to be more, you know, specific to futsal, soccer, uh, skill, tactics, coaching, leadership, et cetera, is going to be Birmingham futsal. Um, I believe it's BHM futsal um, uh, for short, and that's on Instagram and Twitter as well. I'd love to connect with anybody who's interested for sure. Well, and for folks that don't follow you guys, uh, I can tell you firsthand, they are both uh, fantastic follows. And uh, yeah, if you want to get motivated and, uh, you know, take your coaching to the next level, I mean, uh, both uh, two excellent folks to, to follow. So. My sincere thanks to Kat Nichols and Tristan Tillette for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Uh, it was a real honor to speak to both of them. So my thanks, guys, for uh, your time and a great conversation. It would mean the world to me as the host of this show if you're able to share out this episode or other episodes of the On the Touchline podcast out on social media. And if you do, please use the hashtag on touchline. And as I mentioned earlier, I will certainly do my best to try and connect with you that way. You can give me a follow at SoccerCoachJB on Twitter or Instagram, and I would love to connect with you that way. DMs are always open for future topics or future guests that you would like for me to talk to and uh, would be all ears to listen to any suggestions you might have. As I was telling some folks earlier, this podcast is my way of paying it forward in the soccer community. Soccer is the common bond that unites all of us. If you're listening to this podcast, soccer has had an influence in your life in some way. This is my chance to use this platform to bring all of us together. I hope you've enjoyed the latest episode of On the Touchline. And until next time, I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.